Well, good morning. It's always good to be together. Uh, would you pray with me? God, we thank you so much for this time that we have to be with you, to be with one another, uh, to gather around your table, to welcome people for the first time, to bid farewell to people who are in transition in their lives, to believe that you are with all of us, whether we're coming or we're going, that you are always beside us, guiding us, reaching out to us. And God, as we now focus our hearts on your word, we pray that we would have open lives, that we would would open up our souls to hear what it is through the power of your Holy Spirit you are seeking to speak to each one of us. God, I, I'm so thankful for the power of your Spirit to reach out to us and to capture our hearts again and again with the passion and the excitement and the vision of your mission. It's in your Son's name we pray. Amen. So for the past few weeks, we have been focusing on those words from the Apostle Paul that come to us in 1 Corinthians 13, but, but the, the shorthand that we've been using for all of those beautiful words he speaks there is his conclusion where he says, and now these three remain, faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is love. And a couple of weeks ago, we, we then focused on the entire service and, and during our sermon, this idea of, of faith. And we talked about the reality that when we say faith, right, because words matter, definitions matter, what we mean when we say certain words can make all the difference in the world. And so we talked about that that the biblical definition of faith is not certainty, right? It's, It's not knowing for certain through evidence of what exactly is going to happen in our lives, I think many of us want certainty. We seek it out. We do everything in our lives to to be able to capture certainty. But God doesn't promise us certainty. God promises us a faithful relationship that we can trust in. Even when we don't know exactly what's going to happen. Even when we can't know exactly what God is going to do in us and through us and for us. And so we talked about this reality that It is therefore possible for us, as everyday disciples of Jesus, to have faith and fear in our hearts and in our souls at the very same time. That when we have doubt, when we have fear, it doesn't mean we can't also have faith. Because faith doesn't magically take away all the things that make us feel afraid. Faith gives us the courage to face those things that make us feel afraid. Because we believe that God is with us. No matter what. Just last week we talked about hope. And we talked about the reality that as we look at scripture, as much as in our culture, when we say things like, I hope for, we might mean wishful thinking. Like we'd really like for this, this thing to work out for our individual lives. And yet as, as we see the concept of hope explored throughout scripture, we, we find the reality that, that the hope God wants for us to have It's never just about me getting what I want. The hope that God wants for us to have is a hope for a better world, not just for me, but for everyone. 
And so we, we talked about all the different things that can threaten our hope of, of not just a good future, but of a future with God in it through and through. And, and all of us have things that we bring with us every single Sunday to this room that could threaten our hope. And yet, nevertheless, we hand those things over to the God who loves us as much as life itself. And we trust and we believe and we persevere because we have a God who's promised us that even though youths grow tired and weary and young people stumble and fall, those who wait, those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. Well, this morning, we're going to be focusing our hearts on love and what we mean when we say love. And I want to try something this morning uh, that, that I've never tried before. And I'll just be really honest with you. It makes me a little bit nervous. But what I want, I want us to do in a moment is I don't want to be the only person this morning who gets to preach about the definition of hope. Uh, sorry, love. <laughs> I'm so nervous I can't think straight. Okay, so here we go. We're going to bring a slide up. If you've got a cell phone or if you're sitting next to someone with a cell phone, I'm about to give you two minutes, which is a ton of time, I know, to text the clearest definition, the best one-sentence definition of love that you've ever heard or that you've come across. And with your smartphone, two minutes is long enough. If you've never really given a whole lot of thought to the best definition of love, you can even Google it. Now, I don't think every answer you're going to get there will be helpful, but you can still try. So I'm going to give you two minutes to do this, and we're going to use these definitions later in this sermon, okay? Are we together on it? Whether you have a cell phone or you need to borrow the cell phone next to you, ready, set, go. Don't you feel smarter already? still have a minute and a half.
Okay, I hope, hope that was at least enough time for you to jot down the phone number and then you can feel okay about holding and staring at your phone the rest of the sermon. Uh, I'll, I'll give you the benefit of the doubt that you're sending in a, a love definition. Okay, uh, what I want us to do now uh, is we're going to read 1 Corinthians chapter 13 together, all, all 13 of the verses. Uh, and I, I don't want to read that out loud all by myself, primarily uh, because I need us to stay together on this. So I need your help to read it, okay? So uh, what's going to happen when we go ahead and start reading is the, re- the lines that I'll read all by myself just look normal. Uh, the lines that I want you to join me on are all caps and underlined, okay? We're together. So Paul writes, if I speak in human or angelic tongues but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast but do not have love, I gain nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It doesn't dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. But where there are prophecies, they will cease. And where there is knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part. But when completeness comes, what is in part disappears. When I was a child, I talked like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became an adult, I put the ways of childhood behind me. For now we see only a reflection as in a mirror. Then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. And now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. Whether you've been to church your entire life or not, you've probably heard at least some of the verses that make up 1 Corinthians 13. Because they are, throughout Scripture... Not just the New Testament, but throughout all of Scripture, they are some of the most powerful, poetic, beautiful words that you're ever going to come across. Paul is at his rhetorical best in 1 Corinthians 13. And and so when you encounter words that are that amazing and that beautiful and that powerful, you want to create space in your life for it, whether you're a person of faith or not. And so our culture to a large degree, has decided that these words, they they don't just belong in a Sunday morning worship service, uh, they actually can also belong in the midst of of a wedding ceremony, right? And so we we hear these words read often in in the context of a wedding. And so there's a romantic slant to these words that, at least for me, somebody who's both attended and, and performed more weddings than I I really can keep track of, every time I hear these words, I think about my relationship with Lauren, right? Because these words are are supposed to be the words we live by in our marriages, in our covenant relationships. 
They belong in a wedding. But I think Paul, if he could, would clear his throat and raise his hand and say, yeah, that's nice and romantic and everything, and you can use my words in a wedding, but they don't only belong in a wedding. I, I didn't write them just for times when everybody's dressed up and, and trying to get along and feeling romantic. I wrote them in the midst of a church community where people were struggling to understand exactly what I meant when I said they should love one another. Right? And so he goes to great length to talk about what he means and what he doesn't mean when he talks about love. Because, again, like so many of our most meaningful words, there's, there's all kinds of different directions we can go when we say things like we love someone or we love something or we love a certain experience. And Paul, Paul knows that. So he says, this is what I mean and nothing else. So I, I know that we can't read all of this together, uh, but we did read it out loud, so, so the words are familiar to us, uh, at least for the next several minutes. I'm going to pull up all 13 verses on the slide here. Okay, I, You're not intended to have to read all those words, unless you're close. And what I want us to look at is how there are three basic movements in 1 Corinthians 13 of what Paul's trying to do. So let's take the first section, right? Verses 1 through 3 where Paul talks about, even if I was able to do all these amazing things, right? and if you look at it carefully, they're all things that happen at church in the city of Corinth 2,000 years ago. So if I'm able to do all these amazing things in the context of church, right, in my church family, but I don't do those things from a place of love, I'm annoying, or I'm nothing, or I gain nothing. Right, which is really harsh language to use when you're talking about people who are doing the right things. But Paul says, yeah, but you could do all kinds of things, right things, that, that if you're not doing it for the right reason, suddenly it's not really the right thing anymore. Right? And so he's making it clear, before he actually gets into defining what love itself is, he wants them to understand what makes anything you do loving or unloving? So he, he's making it clear in these first three verses. The reality is that love must drive our internal motivations. Right? Another way to think of that then is love has to be your why. Why are you doing whatever it is you're doing? And, and doing something just because it's nice, doing something just because it, it comes naturally, doing something... Uh, because it makes sense, doing something even that you hope is going to be helpful. Those aren't the same things for Paul as doing something out of love. Right? And, and love, for, for Paul, is always going to find its, its foundation in Jesus. And Jesus lives this this incredible life that changes the world because everything Jesus does is to help you be closer to God. That's his motivation. Every word he says, every miracle he performs, every service he provides, it's not to be famous. It's not to have everyone know who he is. It's not to have a following. It's, it's because he came with one mission and one mission only to help people who don't know how much God loves them to experience that love 
through his presence. Everything he did, he did for the other person, for their sake. Even when he's frustrated, even when he, he we, we know that story of him going into the, the temple near the end of his ministry in the Synoptic Gospels and he starts throwing all the tables over. He's doing it because he loves the people that nobody else in the temple, or the way we would say it, he loves the people that the church has forgotten to love. And if he has to get their attention in a way that makes them feel uncomfortable, he's still helping them draw closer to God and closer to the kinds of people God wants them to be. And so it may not feel nice. It doesn't feel comfortable, but it's loving. That can be really difficult for us. On the other hand, I think we we struggle at times with being honest, with reflecting about why we're doing what we're doing. That that on the surface, it seems like a really good thing. On the surface, it, it feels like something that anyone would appreciate, but we're doing it so they'll notice. We're doing it so someone will see. We're we're doing so, our, our, our reputation will, will suddenly be more impressive or mo, more high, high profile than it's ever been before. When you do a good thing for the wrong reason, it's not a good thing anymore. It's not love anymore. And Paul wants us to know before he talks about behaviors, why you do all these things is going to determine whether or not they're actually the kinds of loving things God would want you to do, right? So love must drive our internal motivations. It's got to be where everything starts. Then he moves on to the next section, uh, verses 4 through 7, and he starts talking in very specific, concrete ways what he means when he says the word love in terms of behavior. Right? So what he's saying is love may start as an internal motivation, but love It has to become our external action, right? It it has to. It's not good enough for you to think loving things about somebody else or to experience loving impulses towards somebody else. At some point, that's got to be directed into the actions that you're taking. And and it I want you to notice this. It's in four verses. He's going to be specific 15 different times to talk about what love is and what it isn't. He uses seven positive examples and eight negative examples to say, here's what I want you to do if you want to live a life that's about love. Here's what I don't want you to do. Now, here's what most biblical scholars assume, is all the don'ts are exactly what the church in Corinth is doing. Right? And, and you look at it and you know, yeah, I, I get it. People struggle with envy and boasting and being proud and dishonoring others and looking out for themselves and being angry easily and keeping a record of wrongs, keeping score. It's easy for people to, you know, delight in evil sounds like a phrase that, that none of us would ever participate in. But if you've ever had pleasure when somebody else makes a mistake, you know exactly what he's talking about. If you've ever had a surge of excitement when somebody else loses, you know that experience. Because, brothers and sisters, if we're going to be as honest with ourselves as Paul needs us to be, these struggles that he says, this isn't love, and this isn't love, and this isn't love, you and I, we struggle with those impulses just as much as that church in Corinth 2,000 years ago. It hasn't gone away. 
But he doesn't only tell them what to avoid, he tells them what to do. Love is patient. The word he uses there is a word for timing within a relationship. Love looks for the right time in relationship. The right time to have the conversation. The right time possibly to have the conflict. The right time to give a word of encouragement. Love looks for the right time. Right? When, when he talks about love is kind. You know, in our culture, in our world, the word kind is basically a synonym for nice or polite. That's not the word Paul uses here. In fact, the word kind that's used here never appears anywhere else in the New Testament. And it is not some surface level niceness or politeness. The word kind here is a passionate compassion that moves you to do something about whatever it is that's caught your, your attention. So you see something wrong going on in someone else's life. You see them being hurt, and you do something about it. You don't just notice it. You do something about it. Right? And we could keep going on with these. But one of the things I want to point out to you is that for Paul, when you get to his list here where it says it always protects, it always trusts, it always hopes, it always perseveres, a lot of those, those are words that we might think happen in the privacy of our own hearts. But for Paul, when something's happening intensely enough within you, it will always find an expression outside of you. In other words, if you're a person of hope, I should be able to tell it when I spend time with you. That your hope is visible. Right? That, that if you're, you're having to persevere, that you're, you're sharing with me not only how difficult a certain circumstance is or situation is, but you're showing me, you're modeling for me how to keep going. Maybe you're showing, you're, you're showing me, you're teaching me how to believe in myself and God's presence in my life to overcome something when I don't know how to believe it myself. You can't just have a thought about that. You've got to send somebody a note. You've got to have some sort of interaction with them to help them understand what it means to persevere, to keep going. For Paul, love is something you see. It's something you do. And you're doing it always for the sake of the other person. If you do anything for your own sake and your own sake alone, don't call it love. Okay, and finally, the last section, uh, verses 8 through 13. Paul starts talking about the enduring power of love. And when he says this phrase, love never fails, another way to translate that is love never ends. Now, those are similar, but they're not the same exact thing. Love never comes to an end. And I think what Paul's saying here, especially when he closes the whole section by saying, now these three remain faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is love, is someday, there's a day coming that Paul is referencing in this last section where as people of faith, we're going to step into the full presence of God at the end of time and we won't need faith anymore because it'll be sight and we won't need hope anymore because it'll be fact, but love will still be love and we'll still have relationships with each other, which means if we're going to have relationships for the rest of all of eternity, you cannot have the kind of, of community, the kind of family, the kind of relationships that God wants us to have without love as the foundation 
right? Love is not just present in our stories, in our past, and in this moment. Paul says love is intended to be present in every future moment you're ever going to experience. Not just on this earth, but in the world that is to come. Love is never going to come to an end. And so, as we think about what Paul's saying here, we realize that, that he's talking about this idea that, that love determines our eternal destiny. It's, it's not just something we're thinking about or reflecting on. It's not just something we're doing. It's something we're becoming. It's, it's a place that we're going. Right? It's, it's the home that we long for in heaven that isn't really a place, but it's more of a person. A person that we call Jesus, that we get to, we get to experience forever. So I want us to just hold these three core statements in our minds, right? As you think about what is Paul doing, what's, he, what's the ground he's trying to cover in this chapter with all of these verses, and as, as poetic and powerful as it is. And by the way, have you noticed uh, explaining 1 Corinthians 13 isn't nearly as moving as experiencing it? And yet, we want to have a handle on what's going on because we don't want it to just be some kind of, you know, spiritual greeting card from 2,000 years ago that gives us some nice feelings in our heart when we read it. We want to understand that Paul believes this is who we're supposed to be. Right? John tells us that God is love. And then we're called throughout Scripture to believe that Jesus is God's son. Jesus is God, which means Jesus is love. And then we're invited throughout Scripture to follow in the way of Jesus, which means that God is love, Jesus is God, which means Jesus is love, and we're following Jesus, which means what Paul's saying is we're supposed to be turning into love. Every opportunity, every moment we have of interacting with each other we have to have some sort of very clear understanding of what we mean. So there's a, there's a lot of different ways to express it, but here's the most direct, simple way that I want you to think about this, especially in the coming week, and that is love is not a, a positive feeling that we have about another person when it's easy to like them. Love is a positive choice we make to bless another person even when it's hard to like them. And you know that. I know that, but I need to be reminded of that truth over and over again. It's not a positive feeling I get when I'm with you. And because you make me feel better about me than I say that I like you or that I love you. That, that's not at all what Paul's talking about. Feelings are involved because all of us have emotions and, and fears and hopes in our relationships. But feelings cannot be calling all the shots. And so as we think about our motivations, our why, as we think about our actions, it, it's our how, our what, what are we doing? And as we think about our future, in other words, God, how long are you calling us to live love, to be love? The answer is from now and forever. This is who you are. As my people, this is who you are as my followers. This is who you are as my children. It can't just be a feeling. 
It has to be a choice. And it can't just be a choice that you make once when you're in the midst of a worship service that truly moved you and we sang all the right songs and you got some goosebumps and you think, yeah, I want to be a loving person. It's got to happen at 2 o'clock in the morning when somebody wakes you up in your family for no good reason. And the question is, how are you going to interact with them in the middle of the night when you're just trying to get a little sleep? When someone at work interrupts you in the midst of you trying to do something and, and you're already so behind, you, you just don't have the, the time to interact with them and talk with them and see them as the dearly loved child of God they are. You have a choice. We always have these choices all day long, every single day. And the question is, will we commit and recommit and recommit ourselves to being these kinds of people? Because Paul's convinced And I'm convinced that as difficult as it is to choose this way of life, it is absolutely the best way of life. It's the best way to have meaning and purpose. It's the best way to have confidence that the future that you are expecting, that you're leaning into, is the future God has always wanted for you. So I want us, in a moment, we're going to watch a clip from a television show that you may have heard of. It's called The Office. And I want to give the disclaimer up front, if you've never seen The Office, I'm not saying that every scene in every episode is something that you should watch, right? I can't defend every moment of the show. I'm not trying to do that. But I want to show you a clip that happens in The Office, and it is the single best use of 1 Corinthians 13 I have ever seen in broader culture media. It's, it's amazing to me. I didn't, ex- I didn't see it coming at all when it happened, and I was watching this episode. And I'll set it up for you, and then we'll watch it. There's two people in the office that, that end up falling in love, and they get married. Their names are Jim and Pam, right? Okay. And they get to a place later in the series where they've been married for a while. They have a couple of kids. They're stressed out. And Jim gets a job, it's a, it seems like a great opportunity, at, but, but it's in a different city. And so he's trying to juggle everything in his life. He's trying to make it work, and it's not working. He's not home enough. When he is home, he's distracted. He's on the phone. He's on, he's on text. He's on conference calls. And they get to a place where they're in real trouble. So they go to a marriage counselor, and the marriage counselor gives them some things to try, some strategies. But as they try those strategies to open up their lines of communication... It, it seems at first like it's only getting harder, right? The, the, the tools that they have are actually pointing out to, to one another how the other person's failing in the relationship. And it gets to a point where you can feel that their marriage, the future of their relationship is at stake. So where we're going to start watching this clip is after a really awkward, long, hard day at work where they're trying to use all these strategies and tools and it's just not working. And they're not sure what's going to happen next. So let's watch this together now. You know, this was really weird. And it was really hard. But I think we're making progress. So I'm really sorry that I have to go. But let's keep at this. Okay? Okay.
Thanks. All right, have a good trip. Bye. Love suffers long and is kind. It is not proud. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. Love never fails. And now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. Okay, so do you see how, without saying anything, the creators of this show are able to say, yeah, you may have first heard these words at a wedding, maybe even your own wedding, but they don't just stay there. They break into our lives, maybe in the most unexpected moments, and help us keep going when we're not sure that we can. And did you notice how Pam, at first, wasn't actually ready to reconcile? She wanted to be ready, but she wasn't until Jim finds a way without any words to communicate to her, I choose you again. And she chooses him back again. And, And I don't want us to think about love as only something that takes place in a romantic relationship. We have these kinds of moments where we need to reconcile, but we don't have the desire to actually reconcile yet in all kinds of relationship, friendships. Working relationships, mentoring relationships, we have all kinds of tensions. The question is, will you be the one who chooses first to close the distance and choose that other person again? Okay, we've got just a few moments here. Uh, We're going to bring up this slide of some of the definitions that, that you guys sent in. Uh, and we will be posting this later today on Facebook. And so uh, if, if you want some time to, to read it more carefully, you'll have the ability to do that. But I, what, what Paul's doing in 1 Corinthians 13 is he's trying to be very clear about what he means. right? He wants to be clear about his definitions. And I think that he's trying to model for us that we're always needing to come up with better definitions, clearer definitions of what we mean when we say love. So dying daily to your own selfish needs and putting others' needs ahead of your own seeing everyone's unsurpassable worth and helping them see it, right? helping them experience it, working extremely hard to show others that you care about them and would do anything for them, unconditional compassion and action, how we treat people, this church family pouring out their love and affection when a family's in need, service and care without conditions, with no strings attached, showing how much God loves me by sharing with others his love, right? not just being somebody who receives God's love but somebody who can share it with other people, The breath of the Holy Spirit inspired into the human spirit. That there's a partnership that takes place between us and God in in the most private, intimate conversations and interactions we have. The willingness to be there in every situation to make things better, even when it's difficult. To, To lay down one's life for one's friends. Unwavering, unconditional care for someone other than yourself. A choice. Waiting and working for the best for others, selfless, caring more about another than your own convenience, comfort, or position, forgiveness, 
caring with no reservations. We know what love is. We can define it with a minute and a half. Right? We, we can talk about it. But church, it's not enough to talk about it. It's time for us to do something about it. To do the hard thing for the right reason to help someone else become more like Jesus. To do the right thing for the right reason to help someone else experience how much they're loved. That's who we're called to be. And my prayer is that God gives us the strength to be those people in his name. We're going to sing together now. And as we do, our shepherds and their wives will be scattered throughout our, our church lobby, outside of all of these major doors. They're there to receive you, to pray with you, to be living embodiment of God's love for you. And so if you came this morning with any concern at all or anything that you need to pray about, any conversation spiritually that you need to have, please go to those couples as together we stand and sing.